So have you ever, um, you know, done something, had an expectation, that expectation got frustrated and, and or you didn't like it, it frustrated you? You ever had that, something like that happen? A few of you? Like one night I would I charge my mobile phone or so I thought I was, right? I wake up the next morning, I turn it on, I got like 14% of a charge. I plugged it in, it was supposed to charge, but it didn't and it was frustrating. Last night, uh, I, was, I was expecting this morning to get up at 5.30 uh, a.m. My wife thought we should get up at 5 a.m. I had an expectation that got frustrated. How many know I wanted that extra 30 minutes of sleep? So we all been in a situation where where, where uh, something that was designed to do, like charging my phone, or, or maybe we miscommunicated something and an expectation got frustrated, and it, we've all been impacted by some kind of personal frustration as it relates to an expectation. Am I right? You know, Jesus Christ had a moment where he was frustrated too, but one day he was hungry, and the Bible tells us in, the, in the, uh, Matthew 21, verse 19, and Mark 11, 20, tell this, verse 20, tell these stories where Jesus comes up, he's hungry, he comes up to a fruit tree, and he doesn't find fruit on it. And so he curses it, and it dies. He's mad. He's like, hmm, let no one eat fruit from you again, because I can't. And like, blah, 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 blah. And the disciples are like, whoa, don't make this guy mad. He later tells a parable in, in, the, in, in uh, Luke chapter 13, about a farmer who has a fig tree also. And it says the farmer kept coming back looking for fruit on that tree. And finally he comes to the man who tends his farm and he says to him, hey, I've been coming looking for fruit on this tree for three years and I've found nothing. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to cut it down. I don't want this thing wasting my ground. And the, and the I'm gonna call this guy the intercessor, the interceding farmer says, look, be patient, give it one more year. Let me dig around the tree, let me water it, let me fertilize it, and if it bears fruit, good, and if it doesn't, you know, then we'll cut it down then. When he tells that story, he's talking to a multitude of people who are there. So Jesus had a lot of curiosity seekers. We call those the multitudes in the Bible, and we're in a series uh, right now called Immersed, Moving Beyond an Introduction to Jesus. And in the Western church, the American, the, the United States of American church and really in a lot of churches in the United Kingdom and places like that where we have an intellectual approach to our faith, people have an introduction to the ideas of Jesus, but it's not really shaped culture and not even really shaped the way they live their lives. Jesus wasn't interested in having a multitude of people follow him at a distance. Jesus was interested in disciples. Disciples, those who would learn his ways, those who would do what he's called them to do, those who would follow him, who would walk with him, who would be his friends and who would obey. And both these stories, the one about him cursing the fig tree and then the parable that he told uh, have something in common. It's almost like Jesus, when he walked up the fig tree and it said he was hungry, it's like he's saying, I'm hungry for something in the lives of my followers. Fruit, evidence that you're a follower. Last week, we talked about disciples follow. Well, this is what Jesus would say to that. If you're my follower, Jesus might say, I want you to bear fruit. I designed you to bear fruit. I expect you to bear fruit. And when you don't bear fruit, it's frustrating. Because just like I had an expectation for my mobile phone to be charged after I left it sitting all night, 
plugged in, so I thought. In the same way, there's a lot of people, they come to church, they, they, they sing worship songs, maybe they even lift their hands and do all that cool stuff, and you're, you're kind of into it. You look plugged in, but here's the question, are you? Am I? I mean, I'm, let me aim that back at me, all right? Am I? He drives the point home in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. I think what he would say to us is people don't recognize who we are as followers of Christ based upon the fact that I walk around and say I'm a Christian or that I got a fish on the back of my vehicle or whatever your method of communicating, hanging a cross around your neck with some cool scripture verse on it. People recognize who we are by the things that flow out of our lives that look like we're actually followers of Christ, by the way we love, by the way we forgive, by the way we uphold the truth when others are not upholding the truth. And yet while upholding the truth, that we maintain a posture of kindness while declaring the truth. Are you following me? And so when Jesus looks at the fruit of your life, does he recognize himself in you? How many know Jesus? I could say I'm a Christian. How many know Jesus isn't confused about who his followers are because all he's got to do is look into your life and say, do I see me there? Do I see myself in there? By your fruit, what does he know about your life? Now, let me ask you this. Why does it matter so much to Jesus? Well, just like the fruit on a tree is the way in which we taste and ultimately see that the tree and its fruit are good, in the same way, the fruit of our Christian lives is how the world around us will taste and see, as the Bible says, that God is good. And the problem for so many of us is the world is hungry for so much more than we're giving. And the question is, is the fruit of our lives giving them a taste of who Jesus Christ really is? And so another way to say this, that, that disciples should bear fruit, is disciples grow. They don't stay where they start. They get immersed in Jesus Christ, and they grow as they follow, and following leads to growing. There, in other words, there's no such thing in the mind of Christ as a follower who does not grow. And if it doesn't exist in the mind of Christ, why does a lack of growth exist in the minds? Why is it okay for some Christians to not grow? And so again, we're in this series, and the title of my message today is Disciples Grow. And maybe you've wondered some of these questions, like, why do some Christians bear good fruit and some bear bad fruit? Why do some people grow faster spiritually than others? And then there's the question, why do things grow in my life that I don't want to grow? Anybody else been there? Just the guy preaching to you, okay. And is there, is there a possible, and how can I, if it is possible, change what's growing in my life? And I think these are great questions. We're going to answer these uh, really with a simple idea. There's a simple idea that you need to embrace if you're going to grow healthy as a follower of Christ. You ready to hear what that is? This big idea is this. Growth happens on purpose by a process over time. Here's what that means. Growth, growth is not by accident or by good fortune. 
man, that guy's just lucky. I don't know how he's so spiritual. I mean, I wish I could figure that out. I remember when I was dating Lydia, all right, I had lived a sexually immoral lifestyle. I had walked in a party lifestyle. Uh, my sexual immorality was too numerous to even you know, keep track of. I meet this girl. She's 17 years old. She's, she was totally immersed in some of the worst schools. She really grew up, like if you could read her diaries and her journals and stuff. I mean, she grew up in terrible schools. And I'm wondering, how in the world did you sustain yourself? And she said, well, I mean, I got filled with the Holy Spirit when I was young. And then I said, well, how did you not end up in a sexually immoral? I mean, I think I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, I wanted to walk with Jesus. And she said, and then I, may, I determined beforehand that I wasn't going to do those things. And I was like, wait, wait. Was it really that easy? Why? Because growth for her was on purpose, right? By a process of spending time with God, being in his word, those kind of things, over a period of time. And she grew. I got good news for you. You can too. It mean, that, that, if, it's that, if what I'm saying is true, that means growth is reproducible 100% of the time if all the right factors are in place. Jesus, knowing that all of that, taught his disciples how to grow and live fruitful lives. Somebody want to learn from him? Jimmy, you're okay. I like to hear from Jesus. Let's look at what Jesus said in John 15. He says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, and you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Are you seeing what he's saying here? That disciples, of course, bear fruit, and there is a process that leads to that. It says this, so Jesus said, abide me. That's his process. Bear much fruit is the end result of that process. He goes on to say it. He offers an alternative process. If anyone does not abide me, that's the alternative, is cast out, withered, and thrown into the fire is the end result of that process. Where are you living? Which end result do you want? And there's one big idea in this teaching, and that's this. You need to stay connected to him if you're going to grow. And I don't mean by, by proxy of coming around other Christians. Well, that is most certainly helpful. I'm talking about a faith-filled, supernatural dynamic that happens on the inside of your person, your spirit, the human heart. Call it whatever you want, but something deep inside of you connects with something deep inside of heaven, and those realities get married together. They get connected together. They walk together. They live together. When Jesus says, abide in me, what's in a, you know, what's in a boat? A boat's a place you live, Right? When you abide in an abode, you dwell in it. You live in it. It's where you live. Jesus is saying, look, I want you to abide in me. I want to be the place. I want to be the person that you live with, that you live in. I want to be the one you talk to when you're going through hard times. I want to be the one that you connect to 
I want to be the Lord of your life. I want to lead you, as, as, as Psalm 23 puts it, I want to lead you beside still waters. I want to restore your soul. But to do that, I need you to stay connected to me. You get connected through faith. It all starts the day we believe that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to die on a cross for our sins and rise again from the grave. Those, those who believe in him wouldn't pay for their sins, would not perish, as the Bible puts it, would have eternal life just simply through believing a simple message about the one who came 2,000 years ago and died on a cross for our sins and rose again. That's how it starts. That's how you get connected. But you stay connected through practices you put in your life. So, you, so you, you get connected through faith, you stay connected through practices. Does that make sense? And that's what's missing for a lot of people. They get connected, but then they add no new practices to their life. Or better yet, they don't remove some really bad practices from their life that help break that connection. And Jesus says, if you stay connected, he promises one simple thing. Are you ready? He promises that you will grow. And so here are four practices that will help you abide in Christ and that will help you stay connected. I want to I help you with this today, okay? First is plant. You need to plant the seed of God's word in your life. So basic. Jesus said in another place, you are my disciples if you abide in my word and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. You are my disciples if you abide in my word. Could he possibly also implying that you are not my disciples if you don't? I think, I think he's implying that. <laughs> Galatians 6 verse 7 says this, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, what he plants. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap a harvest of destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap a harvest of eternal life. But this, no matter how you understand this passage, how you want to apply it, there's one thing very clear here. Whatever is growing in your life, you're planting. If you want to change what's growing, then you need to change what you're planting. Now, if you like what you're doing, if you see good fruit from what you're doing, keep doing it by all means. But if it's robbing you of devotion to God, John Wesley, and, uh, the Methodist founder of the Methodist church, so famously said one time when he was trying to help people understand what worldliness is, well, what is it? How would I know if I'm actually being worldly? I love his simple definition because instead of trying to fix it on a thing, do you drink too much? Do you, do, you, do, you, you know, do you make too much money? Do you do all these things? He just said, ah, oh, forget all that. Here, here's, how you, here's your test. Worldliness is that which cools your affection for God. If your affection for God is getting cooled, I don't care if it's right for one other person. For you, it's wrong because it's cooling your affection for God. I wish I would have made that up. Anyway, it's a good statement. But if you want to change what's growing, you need to change what you're planting. And, and Peter the apostle said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Through Christ, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you've purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So stop. 
He's saying here that this, this incorruptible seed is the Word of God. Are you following me? Yeah. You're following Him, really. All flesh is grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the Word by, by the... Uh, a word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. I just think it's interesting the things he said to lay aside. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and envy. These are very corrupting things in the lives of people. We have a tendency to put other things in a higher place. I need to rid my life of, of I don't know, you know, greed and sexual immorality. He's like, well... That would help, but he puts malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes. So if you're a follower, you become a follower of Christ, you got connected, the next step he would say to you is desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow by it. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Both Peter, the apostle, and John, the other apostle uh, in the book of, who wrote the book of uh, John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation in your Bibles. These, these things we call books. They're, they're letters in the Bible for those who are, who are new to the Bible. And Both these guys in 1st John and here in Peter, they use the word, Peter uses the word seed, John uses the word seed. The word seed Peter uses is the word spora, S-P-O-U-R-A. If you were to look at it in Greek, it just simply means seed. But it's the kind of seed you imagine when you plant something in the ground and it grows up like, like an apple seed growing up into an apple tree. John, on the other hand, uses the word sperma. It looks, sounds like what it is. It's talking about the human seed, the one that creates another human life. What's, the question then is, is, what are they saying? Well, Peter's basically saying, you've been born again of an incorruptible seed, or let me say it this way, an incorruptible DNA. That, that the DNA is in the seed, and when the right conditions are there, gene expression happens, and, and, and all of a sudden, you're overtaken by the DNA of Christ. See, growing in Christ isn't just imitation. Like, when I begin to raise my children, and they begin to grow, and they begin to learn from us, surely they imitate. They watch and they imitate their parents, right? That's very normal. But more is going on there than just the one meets the eye and just imitation. There is a DNA of, of, of me in them. There's a DNA of my wife in them. And in that common DNA, they begin to imitate and they begin to get facial expressions that look like us. And they, they get dimples in some of the same places and they make some of the funny same eyebrow looks. Hopefully they don't go bald anyway. <laughs> because while imitation, it's important as a Christian, the Bible tells us, let's become imitators of Christ as dearly beloved children. You should want to become an imitator of Christ and grow as an imitator, but that's because there's something else working inside of you that needs expression, the DNA of God. And Peter's saying, just like a child needs its mother's milk to sustain the original seed that caused it to have life, because inside that is inherent things that that nourish and feed what's growing in their body and, and help fight disease and provide antibodies and things like that. So it's true with Christ. As we desire the pure milk of the word, as we come to the scriptures, as we interact with it, it feeds and nourishes us and it also provides antibodies, as it were, from the spirit of the age. It helps us repel that which doesn't please God. Amen? 
God tells Joshua in Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. In it you shall meditate in it day and night. You should observe to do all that's written in it. Listen to what he says. Then, when you do that, then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. See, a person with Christ's DNA sees prosperity different than the world sees it. The world sees prosperity as that which exclusively benefits them, insulates them, helps them in life. Are you following me? I am not saying Christians can't have, have those things, but the DNA of Christ in us causes us, if I have those things that, that God would provide for me, whether it's financial provision or, or safety or, or whether it's wisdom and those kind of things, that I don't want to hoard it to myself, but that because of the DNA of Christ in me, I want to be generous and share with everything that God's given me with others in as much as the Son of God gave his very life for us. You could give the wealth of your household when you give your life for what you believe in. Then you will make your way prosperous, a prosperity as defined by God. Then you will have good success, success as defined by God. Well, how can I find that definition? Get filled with his DNA, and it will find you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 14, John says, to, 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 to uh, the disciples there. I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God lives in you. It lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Listen, I want to suggest to you that the reason they overcome the evil one is because the word of God lives in them. That if the word of God wasn't living in them, they could not overcome the evil one. In other words, these people who were born again by the original gospel message were meditating in the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, and they're saying, man, I want to grow by this. I want to, I want to be changed by this. And they began to overcome. Listen, I can tell you safely, my own personal growth happened. I'll talk about that in a second after I tell you the second thing. The second thing you can do is you need to water that seed by interacting with the Holy Spirit. How many know if I take a seed and put it in the ground but don't water it, what happens to that seed? It's still a seed, isn't it? I just put the seed in the ground. And it just sits there. There's no moisture. The right, in other words, if the right conditions are not present for it to grow, it's not going to grow. And for many of us, I know people who read the scriptures and they meditate, and yet they're, they're either mean or they're, they're just, you know, they don't look like when I read about Jesus. Like you, you, you mention sinners and they, I don't like sinners. They look like the Pharisees in the Bible. They knew the Bible like sinners, you know? They get that face. When I hear the word sinner, and I think when Jesus heard the word sinner, I'm thinking fresh meat. Fresh ground to plant the seed of the word of God. Fresh opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus. Fresh opportunity to show love in the kingdom of God. And I go, sinner. I go, whoa, opportunity. The one that Jesus died for. Well, well, what's happening? What's the difference? The difference is there are people who've got a bunch of seeds in that haven't grown up yet. And what makes it grow is when you water it by interacting with the Holy Spirit. Water that seed by interacting with the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says this. Paul the apostle talking. Now, you got to understand, this is a guy who was filled with dead seeds until Jesus found him. The, the, this guy named Saul was persecuting the church. He was having Christians locked up. He was having them executed. All because he believed and he was doing it in the name of God, in the word of God. And he was completely wrong. 
Jesus meets with him, knocks him off his horse, gets him filled with the Holy Spirit. His getting filled with the Holy Spirit was the game changer for all those previous years of Scripture being stored up into him. <clears throat> See, I'm not against you storing up the Scriptures. I'm against you not watering it in relationship with the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says. This guy, that guy writes this. He's made us, Christ has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Why? The letter kills. It's dead. But the Spirit gives life. The water comes upon the seed. It begins to grow up, and you begin to experience fruitfulness and things coming out of the, the life that's coming out of the ground. And You know, for me, what, what does it look like? like when I say, what's it look like to interact with the Holy Spirit? For me, it might start, I have my Bible open, and I, I open the Word, and I, I'm there. And so as much as I do digitally... I still, I got paper. I don't want any digital stuff to mess with me. So I got my, I got my paper journal and I got my paper Bible. I guess I'm still old school. Some of you young people are like, I do it digitally. And you probably go to social media and every other place, take a picture of it, send it over there and do that. I'm saying, I'm not saying that's wrong. If you could somehow encounter God in that, that would distract me 50 ways from today, 50 ways from Sunday. Anyway, so, so I have my Bible open, I have my journal here and I sit there and I come and I'll be like, Lord, this is, I prepare my heart. This is the word of God. I don't just start, oh, there's the Bible. I'm going to open like another book. Got my daily verse, my daily bread. Those things may be helpful. It may be doing a, a little is better than nothing. I'd rather you scatter some seed. But if you want to water it, make it grow. Watering and growth just take time. And we'll talk about that here at the end. But I, I open my Bible and I begin to, and if you've got a Bible, like nobody taught me this stuff. The reason I demonstrate this is because I'm like, people say, you need to read the Bible. So I read it. And I got nothing out of it. Anybody else? And then you get to Numbers, right? I'm going to start like I'm going to read every other book. I'm going to start in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. End of Bible study right there. <laughs> right? I get to hear about the 12 tribes of Israel and every one of their children. <laughs> what is this in the Bible for God? That's when I started to get a prayer life and water the word. You know what I'm saying? This is so dead. If you don't bring water, I'm done. You know what I'm talking about, the book of Numbers. Not for the faint of heart. It's up there with the book of Job. Anyway, um, so, so, so I'm sitting there, and I, I would do this. And so, so I would begin to interact. I'm like, Lord, speak to me from your word. And, and, and maybe I would come to a place, and I might even go in thinking, I, I mean, oh, this totally makes sense. I get this. But then as I meditate with God, I might leave with a totally different understanding of what, he, what, what's, what was in his heart. Let me give you an example of the apostles, right? The apostles are following Jesus. They're his disciples. They're about to have a growing moment with the word of God. They come into this town called Samaria. Samaria totally rejects them in the gospel. And they're like, they, they know they don't like Jews anyway. So the Jew, Jews don't like Samaritans, you know, Samaritans. And so the, 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 the apostles start cracking their knuckles, you know. Yo, Jesus, you want me to send Vinny and Guido to break their legs? <laughs> it's not quite what he says. But they say, hey, do you want us to call down fire on them like Elijah did Samaria? I mean, the Samaria, like Elijah did. Jesus, and this, I love it. Jesus, you got to understand, they went in thinking, I totally understand what this verse means. I mean, this is the application of this. We're now walking with the Messiah. And, and we're going to go in and do what, 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 what prophets do. And they come in, you want us to, twitch him. You want us to call down fire on these varmints? She's like, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of, man. You're not of the Clint Eastwood spirit, the Elijah. You are, you, this isn't what I came to do. I didn't come to destroy men's lives. 
I came to seek and save that which is lost. Boys, you need an upgrade to your DNA. You need something new to overtake you. And that happens when you take in the seeds of the word like they did, but then Jesus was watering it through his interaction with them. And when you interact with the Holy Spirit, he'll do the same thing with you. You can pray, you can talk to God about what you're reading, listen to teachings about it, discuss it with others, act on it. All of that will help water this in your life. And I've, like I said, I've literally gone into a prayer time and had God change my mind about what it meant. The third thing you need to do is you need to persevere through seasons of pruning. Have you ever seen pruned fruit trees? They think like all hell broke loose on them. Like, 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 like somebody butchered them. I mean, I was, I, I, we used to live by Cherry Hill Orchard down in uh, Willow, down the Willow Street area. We'd drive by there. We'd always get cherries and things like that. But I remember when they had pruned the apple trees, man. And I'd be like, it just looked like somebody went, it just looked like somebody just, just lopped their heads off. And they're just like these sticks. Or you ever seen a sheep that's been freshly shorn? Like, that's terrible looking. <laughs> Poor naked sheep. <laughs> so my son-in-law, you know, my son-in-law uh, had his training out at uh, Longwood Gardens. And he, he could tell you all the plant names, Latin and all that stuff. And I just wrote him and I said, hey, tell me, like, what's, what is the point of pruning from, you know, like what we think today and all that. And he, he, I just like, I love the analogies. And I get why Jesus said in here, God, the, those that are bearing fruit, God prunes them so they bear more fruit. And I'm like, why? And this is what he said. Pruning encourages new growth. It just encourages new growth. It's just what it does. Pruning is where we take away something. We take away all those things that look fruitful. Where we get things that put some space between the branches and, and give those branches opportunity to, to grow. And when God takes away things that you think are necessary, it encourages your faith roots to deepen if you persevere in faith. So we gotta persevere. He said this also, the plant has energy in the roots that will now push out to new areas. Why? Well, and for our lives, it might mean that the, that our, the, the deepening faith in Christ will push us out to areas we might not have previously considered due to the fruitfulness of the previous season. If you're bearing fruit, the last thing you wanna do is change. Man, my game is working. When we, play, when we established the Gateway House of Prayer, and it was a 24 hours a day, seven days a week, worship and prayer center, it took seven years to get that thing going. And, and to have God come and interrupt my broadcast and say, you're not going to leave this and go plant the church. I'm like, please, no, this was a lot of work. My wife's thinking, we're going to do another pioneering ministry. Are you crazy? I said, God, no, but God is. <laughs> He's the crazy one. I just happen to be a servant. Well, I found, just like, it, like he was saying here, that, that as I, things are removed... And, and, my, and, and, and your root energy goes deeper, as it were, and we, we feel the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, working on us, clearing out junk that's been in the way. It gives opportunity for that, for that life flow, that, that undistracted life flow to push back out into new areas. And it might be God's leading you into something else. As you go through a pruning season, he could be leading you into new opportunities that you would have never discovered had you stayed where you're at and did not get pruned. You just stayed in your previous fruitfulness. The final thing he said was trees need to have good structure for, for, for better health. I love this. Listen to this. Branches need to be spaced out to allow airflow, prevent disease, prevent rubbing branches and damage. I think when God prunes our lives, he removes what we think we need in our lives and it gives us opportunity. It gives space in our lives for better airflow, as it were. Less distractions to hear from God, more interactions with the Holy Spirit. That would be good airflow, as it were. 
get some healing in our hearts, deal with the disease and the things that are, are present in our lives so we can grow and ultimately bear more fruit. You want to hear some crazy mean thing from Jesus' biological brother, James? You ready for this? James chapter 1, verse 2 says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face many kinds of trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Have you ever known anybody that walked into a trial and said, oh, joyful, joyful, I adore thee. This is so awesome, God. Woo, a trial. No one does that. I said, God, no one does that. He's like, they should. Oh, please have mercy on us, God. He tells us, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. Maturity happens because of growth, complete, not lacking anything. There's a guy named Joseph in the Bible. He's the son of Jacob. He has, 12 bro- he has 11 other brothers. He's the 12th brother. He has great favor with his dad. His fruitfulness season is going really good. He's got favor. He's got really talented gifts. He's got this ability to interpret dreams and is a very prophetic man, can hear God. His brothers are absolutely jealous of him. They sell him into slavery to get rid of him. Tell his dad he died and, 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 and fake his death. He goes into slavery, gets falsely accused in slavery, gets tossed into prison. His, it both, both in slavery and in prison, the slave owner and the prison guard discover this guy is a really talented man when it comes to administrating things. Everything he touches grows. He's fruitful in everything he does. Now you gotta imagine Joseph for 14, 20 years, whatever it was between all the different periods, you get told by God, you're gonna be leading, everybody's gonna bow down to you, and then you go for 20 years into a prison. You know what the Bible says? That the word of the Lord tested him during that season. He had this promise that wasn't being fulfilled. How many have ever had a promise you felt like you had from God and it isn't happening? What if pruning's happening? And what if all that season of what you're going through is to prepare you to bear more fruit? Who could have seen at that time, Joseph described it this way, you, God used you, brothers, as a pruning instrument. You meant it for evil. When you were lopping off my bows of fruit, you did it for evil. But God meant it for good. See, the problem is the pruning that happens in our lives, often, often the pruning instrument is other human beings. And we like, we know they're not serving God. Friend, even the devil serves God whether he wants to or not while he tempts you, while he pulls you away, while he seeks to... The devil has no power over your life except which God allows him and which you allow him. And every test that you face, you can count that all joy because it's going to work something in your life. If God has allowed the devil to show up into your life to test you, there is something good on the other side of that if you pass the test. promise you. And you just got to persevere. And the word of the Lord tests you, and then you step beyond that uh, in your faith in God. His gifts that had previously only helped his own family were now being used to save a nation. You just can't see what God's doing when he's pruning your life. That's where you gotta exercise trust and faith. I wanna remind you of what I said in the beginning. Growth happens on purpose by a process, listen to this word, over time. Some of us really hate the time word. How many patience is not a virtue with you? I feel you. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good. Don't grow weary while you're planting and watering. For at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. We were in a prayer meeting the night. Ken Kime was here praying. 
Ken is an amazing intercessor and brother in the Lord. He had this little paper. He began to read about the uh, Chinese bamboo tree. I knew this stuff, but I didn't have all the details that he, he did. But the Chinese bamboo tree is, is different than most trees because where most plants or trees grow a little bit each year, the Chinese bamboo tree may not grow at all for about four years, somewhere between three and five, they say. Perhaps we'll just average it out to um, four years. And so then in the fifth year, listen, it will grow at an astonishing rate. In five weeks, it can grow 90 feet. Can you imagine looking at that like, what's this thing doing? Three years. Why am I watering this ground and fertilizing this? Is anything happening? Have you ever felt that way in your relationship with God? You're, 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 you're planting stuff, you're watering it, it, it's not producing anything. And you're watching it. I planted that seed there, I know I did. And that wash pot never boils, does it? Imagine you're a bamboo tree grower. Like, what kind of faith do you need to believe that what you've sown into the ground, what you've planted is still growing, even if you don't see it yet? Because the Chinese bamboo farmer has faith that if he, she or she keeps watering and fertilizing, the tree will just break through in time. And we need the same faith when we plant God's word in our lives that we can get so excited about a vision or a desire that God has given us that we can second guess ourselves if we don't see evidence of God working right away. Listen, Paul the Apostle, through that passage in Galatians, would give you an encouraging word today. Do not grow weary while doing good. Do not grow weary when you are engaging purposefully God's process over a period of time. It just takes time. You wouldn't need to, James wouldn't have to tell us, hey, you need to have faith. You need to endure with patience. Pray with faith. Anyone who prays doubting, the Bible tells us, is double-minded. Well, you don't, if I get answered immediately, I don't need faith, do I? It's the process. It's the time, the baking, the roots going deep is where I need faith. Growth does happen on purpose by a process. Over time, listen, time is your friend if you use it right. Time can be your enemy if you use it wrong. I don't know what it is about sinfulness. We sure reap the sinful stuff a lot faster, don't we? Like when we planted gardens in front of our houses, I noticed weeds grow way faster than, than all the stuff I want to grow. Anybody else notice that? I still know that if I weed the garden, and I tend the roots of those plants. I make sure they have water and sunlight, the right conditions for it to grow, it'll grow. I wanna tell you the word of God will grow in your life too, in the same way. Stand your feet. One of the things that's most important in doing anything when you're gonna plant something is to prepare the soil first. To prepare the soil first, right? I can't just go throw it. Jesus told a parable of a, of a sower who went out and sowed seed and he talked about four kinds of soil. The first soil was just a hard path. The seed just fell on the path. It couldn't even penetrate it. 
prepare a hard soil, you'd have to break that up, wouldn't you? Some of us have hardness in our lives because of offense and hurt, unforgiveness. And for that seed to take its root in your life, you're gonna have to plow up that ground for that thing to go in and bear fruit. And the easiest way to plow it up is to start by, God, I know, look, these people that hurt me, the offenses that I have, I'm, I'm on a planet with a bunch of other sinners who need a savior just like I do. And you gotta ask God, for, 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 I for, forgive me for allowing my heart to become hard and pushing you out. Will you forgive me, God? You, you begin to ask him for forgiveness and then release forgiveness. I forgive them for what they did. You, you mentioned their name out loud by name. And friends, I, I was sexually abused at four years old by a dude up the road. I know what it's like to carry offense. I know what it's like to have all kinds of messed up issues because of stuff like that. Some of you face those kind of things. I know one in, one in three uh, ladies and one in four men will suffer sexual abuse by the time they're 18 years old. Let's not act like it's uncommon. It's a common thing that we need to learn to deal with. The answer, I, know, I can tell you the answer because I got massive healing just through forgiving the person who did it. The forgiveness doesn't release um, them from God or, or dealing with whatever God's going to deal with them on. It releases me from being held by what they did to me. And it releases you from the same thing. Does that make sense? So maybe there's hardness. The other soil was a, uh, a shallow soil. It didn't have, it wasn't very deep. The word goes in, but it's, it's got hardness underneath. They didn't properly prepare the soil. And so it can only get so rooted. And then when testing comes, because the test comes, they can't endure through the test. And so they give up. I know some of you in this room, maybe you started out walking with the Lord, and then you, you test came and you said, I ah, forget that. I'm going to go bury my life back in the spirit of the age and its values. Or you know someone who's done that. We got to repent. Repentance is where we change our mind and we dig deeper into those things of God. We look at the fruitfulness of the things we've walked in and say, I'm not doing that anymore. I don't want to do that. I want God. The third soil is, hey, it was planted right, but then the cares of life the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things are like weeds that come up and seek to choke out what God is doing in your life. How many have ever experienced that? That is probably the most common thing for people in this room. I'm trying to go after God, but I got all of life's issues coming at me. You know what we have to do? We have to weed the garden. We have to minimalize a little bit. We have to get things out of our life that we don't really need so we can make room for what we do need. Maybe we invite a pruning season our lives. But then Jesus says there's another kind of soil that bears a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold, 100 times. And it produces fruit. I want to be the 100 fold guy. How many want to be the 100 fold guy or gal out there? You're there, right? Okay, you got to live differently. It's like saying, I want to be an Olympic athlete. Hey, man, you got to live differently than the people around you. And you got to accept that's it. That's just okay. I'm not trying to be like everybody else. I'm looking, I want to weed out of my life that which cools my affection for God. And I want to plant in my life that, that which ignites fire for him in my life. But before a seed can germinate, it needs the right conditions to sprout. And the word of God tells us as you prepare the soil, that right condition is this thing we call faith. Hebrews 4 says the gospel was preached to the Jewish people who received the original scriptures, it was preached to them as much as it was to us. He's referring to the Christians who had heard the word now. Hey, listen to what he says. He said, but the word which they heard did not profit them. It didn't help them. Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. What causes the word of God to germinate and take root in my life is this thing called faith. It's when I come, come to it, not with 
with a skeptical heart, but with a believing heart. I don't sit there, Jesus is Lord of my life. I'm his father. I'm not sitting there second guessing him. I'm trying to understand him vastly different. My understanding doesn't determine my obedience. My I'm gonna obey. My understanding determines how well I can obey. Sometimes when my kids are growing up, they'd be like, you know, how many of your kids, right? And the kids are, you gotta go do this chore. You gotta do this thing. Why mommy? Why daddy? Because I said so. Well, we, did, we, we chose not to do the because I said so thing. What we would say is, you will understand why after you do it. Sometimes we just need to obey and the why gets answered as we go. Like if I tell them to clean their room, why? Well, when they walk into a clean room and they can find all their toys, they know why, right? And on and on it goes. Obedience to the Lord is like that. We come to our heavenly father and he says, do this and we just do it. Amen? Listen that the foundation of this word taking place, this incorruptible seed getting your life. You say, I've got a lot of corruption in my life. I don't, I'm not seeing this incorruptible seed. It's one of two things. You don't know him or you haven't been watering it. And I want to talk to you today who may not know him. You may have come to church or churches, but no one actually ever preached the gospel to you and gave you an opportunity to make a covenant with Jesus where you said, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I want to follow you. I, I say this often here. Coming here doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger, right? Being in the presence of other Christians doesn't make you a Christian. Choosing in your heart to covenant with Jesus Christ, your Lord of my life, change me, save me, that is what makes you a Christian and a true follower of Jesus. And all you gotta do to do that is believe that he came from heaven, died on the cross for your sins and rose again, that in believing in him, you can have eternal life. I wanna give some of you an opportunity to do that today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? Listen, you're here today and you're saying, man, my heart is stirred up by the things you're saying. And I'm fairly certain, I've been around church, I've been around stuff, but I don't know that I know Jesus and I want to. I want to know him the way you're describing. I want to grow the way you're describing. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand high? I won't call you up here and I won't embarrass you, but I just want to pray for you. I see you, anybody else? Hi, come on, be bold. Yes, good. Let's. Let's pray. I want you to pray with me. And then I want those of you who are saying, man, I want this work to deepen in my life. I'm going to pray some things in here for you. Would you join me in praying? Say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you to help me turn over the hard places in my life. All the things that are robbing your seed from taking a deep root, from your DNA, from growing in my life. Save me from my sins. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Be Lord of my life, Jesus. And teach me how to walk with you. When I fail, correct me. Strengthen me to stand. And continue on the path until I see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God thanks. Let's say yes to Jesus.